Bibles, if you would open them to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. So, my objective really is to... uh, We might be in this about three months. Three months. That's more than uh, the last time I... We did an end time series. I'm not sure how long ago that was, maybe 2018 or 19. But we did not cover all, everything in the book of Revelation. All right, if you found that, if you're able to stand, let's go ahead and stand. We will read the first three verses, then we'll jump down and look at verse 19. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Just a quick comment here. In a general sense, blessed is anybody who reads the Word of God. In a general sense. In the context, there's a blessing for reading the book of Revelation. Understanding it and making application where you understand Then uh, verse 19, we have kind of an outline, not the outline that I've given you, uh, but the three things that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. The Lord Jesus says to John, write the things which thou hast seen, that's past tense, and the things which are, that's present, and the things which shall be hereafter. That's the future. And so as we read through this, we will actually see past, present, and future. The bulk of the book emphasizes the future. The bulk of it does. When we get to areas that refer to the past, I will point those out. It's not chronologically The book of Revelation from chapter 1 to 22, some of it is not in chronological order. The past is mentioned later on, after the present is mentioned. I'm just letting you know. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer here. Father, we do love you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us the scriptures. We are thankful for this wonderful book. So much of it has been fulfilled before our very eyes. We understand, Lord, that uh, the Lord Jesus has fulfilled everything necessary to provide a redemption. And if he fulfilled his birth and crucifixion and resurrection as accurately as the Old Testament prophets testified about, how much more should we be assured that his second coming, his return, will be fulfilled as accurately as he has mentioned as well. May you bless this time. May it be a strength to our faith as well as enlightening. And through it, may you be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I hope you have something to write with, and you can always use a hymn book to place that on, to write on. Not write in the hymn book, but write on it with this. So, What I want to do is uh, just give you the blanks right away. That way we've done it, we've went through it, and we can call it night. If I don't do that, I've learned, I, well, sometimes, uh, I can get caught up on a point and we don't get to the others. So, so I want to give you the blanks here. So for me to grasp the book of Revelation, this is a very generic outline, but it helps me to see it. And there's a lot to fill in in between the chapters. And there's actually some parenthetical chapters which actually refer to other things, but this is the primary outline. In chapter one, chapters 1 through 3, you have the church age, the church age. Hi, Mina, I just saw you there. Good to see you. Uh, chapters 1 through 3, church age. Chapter 4 and 5, you have the rapture. I use that term because you're familiar with it. Okay, the church taken up. Chapter 6 through, the ni- through 19, what we call the great tribulation. We have experienced tribulation. We will continue to experience tribulation. There are Christians on this earth right now who are going through far greater tribulation than what you and I are going through. Nevertheless, there will be a great worldwide tribulation that is distinctively different than the early church went through when it went through a lot of martyrdom and persecution then. It is distinctively different because the great tribulation, I, I know I'm getting caught up on this one, but I need to, you need to understand, the great tribulation is about God's wrath being poured out on this earth, not on his people, but on this earth. That's what the great tribulation deals with. Chapter 20, the millennial reign. The millennial reign of Christ, that thousand-year reign. Chapter 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth. Now, some of you may have already been familiar with this, but this helps me as I go into the book of Revelation, understanding, okay, this is, this is how I can look at this. You'll notice on the other side of the page uh, a few things for me to mention. So John the Apostle was given this book from Jesus while on the Isle of Patmos. Revelation means unveiling, unveiling, to roll the curtain away, to see behind the curtain. It is interesting that while Christ was on the cross, the veil that stood between the Ark of God or the Holy of Holies And uh, on the innermost part of the tabernacle, when Jesus was on the cross, right after he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, that veil was rent in twain so that anybody looking in the tabernacle could see the Holy of Holies. Well, that was a no-no. That was off limits. But the symbolism there, the significance there was now that Christ has paid the full price of redemption, he is the access, he's the door to heaven. There's no longer a veil 
And Jesus, in the book of Revelation, is unveiled. You see, the apostle John knew him as a man, as deity, but he saw his humanity. Now, on this island, he sees him in all his glory. Now, if he thought the Mount Transfiguration was something, that didn't hold a candle to this, what he's going to see here. He will see the Lamb of God, God that was slain from the foundation of the earth there high and lifted up with all power and coming with justice and judgment in his hand. The next uh, line, it is written to the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will come back to that. Uh, the next blank. Spiritual light is given to those who follow the light. Psalms 36, 9 tells us uh, uh, if we walk in, no. in thy light shall we see light. In thy light shall we see light. The way to get more light, more understanding from the Word of God and to discover the will of God is to make sure you're already in the obvious light that God has given you. Everybody follow that? Okay. The number seven is significant uh, in the book of Revelation. You'll read it often. You'll read about the seven eyes of the Spirit or, and, and things like that. And you'll just see it often, and it might bring up questions. So I'll, let me just tell you that throughout the Bible, the number seven has this interpretation. Either completion or perfection. Completion or perfection. So, uh, as you read it, you will see this. And, of course, when it comes to God judging the earth, he will do a complete work. That's why there are seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven vials. Now, the seven seals, now, let me just share something here. If you can visualize... A great big scroll rolled up like this, only a great big one. And on that had seven seals. Or actually, the way it would work is you would open one seal, and it would reveal a little. You'd open a little more, another seal. So the seals were inside it. So you'd roll it back, you bust the one seal, oh, there's, there's information. You roll it back, there's another seal, there's more. And there were seven seals in it. And as you would read that, that's what is transpiring here as more things are being revealed that had been secret, that had been hidden or withheld. And it's fascinating that when John gets up into glory and he sees the seven-sealed book, there's a great burden amongst those who are there. Who can open the book? And then the Lamb of God shows up, the only one worthy, and he begins to open the seven seals. When he gets to the final seal, we read about seven trumpets. Trumpets in the Bible have to do with drawing an assembly or an alarm. An alarm. Oh, there will be an alarm. 
And then there are seven vials, vials, the pouring out, the complete pouring out of the wrath of God. I know that just sounds terrible, but it's not. I didn't give you this on your handout. It wouldn't have been as fun reading it if I had given this to you. I want you to consider the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation as two bookends of the Bible. They are chronologically correct, those two. The book of Genesis, our origins. The book of Revelation, where it all ends. I heard a guy say this years ago. A preacher say this. There are three books that every Christian ought to get familiar with. The book of Genesis, so that he knows where he came from. The book of Romans, so, well, actually, the book of Revelation, so that he knows where he's going, or the possibilities, because there's only two. Hello? And the book of Romans, to know how to get to the right place. So, Genesis gives the creation of the heavens and the earth. I'm going to give you some comparisons and contrasts with the book of Genesis and Revelation. I found this helpful. I want to give credit where credit is due. Dr. Doug Castle. Uh, He pastors Bethel Baptist Church down near Linton, Indiana, and he made a commentary on the book of Revelation. It sat in my office for three, four years or so, maybe longer. And in getting ready for this, I thought, I'm going to pull all my Revelation commentaries out and browse them, and I thought, let's check out what Brother Doug has to say. And I had to call him. I said, Brother, is this original from you? He says, well, Brother Merv, not all of it. I said, well, I'm going to give you credit then. I I think you need to. So check this out. Genesis gives the creation of the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. Revelation gives us a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21.1. Genesis reveals to us Eden, the earthly paradise. Revelation reveals to us the heavenly paradise. Genesis, in Genesis, we have the beginning of Satan and his reign of terror, Genesis 3.1-7. In Revelation, we have the banishment of Satan and his reign of terror, Revelation 20, verse 10. In Genesis, the tree of life is relinquished from man. Genesis 2, 9 and 3, 24. In Revelation, the tree of life is regained. Revelation 22, 2. I believe that tree of life, by the way, was how they kept their physical bodies alive. That's why, that's why they were banned from it. God made them perfect but the tree of life, apparently they had to draw from that to stay alive. I, I, that's just my guess, his opinion. We, were, we don't have to break fellowship if we disagree. Okay, I, I'm not going to. Genesis gives us the first Adam and his bride ruling over creation. Revelation gives us the second Adam and his bride, the church, ruling over a redeemed world. In Genesis, the serpent deceives the woman and sin enters the world. In Revelation, that old serpent called the devil is cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Hallelujah. In Genesis, death makes its entrance. 
In Revelation, death makes its exit. Revelation 21.4. Genesis is the beginning of sorrows. Genesis 3.16. Revelation is the removal of sorrow. Revelation 21, verse 4. In Genesis, we have the rise of Babel, or future Babylon. In Revelation, we have the fall of Babylon. Genesis brings in sorrow, sickness, pain, and death. Revelation reveals a place that is tearless, timeless, and tombless. Thank you, Brother Doug Castle. So, listen, I don't have anything original. I draw from a whole lot of flowers. Try to make my own nectar, but the fact of the matter is, I draw from a whole lot of flowers, and I don't have anything original here. I only present, though, the things that I understand. If I don't understand it, I'll tell you, I don't understand that. But if I understand it, I have no problem sharing it with confidence and boldness. And so in regards to the outline, I'm very confident this is the outline. I believe the end times... In regards to eschatology, the word eschatology means end times. I believe the order that we have just read here on the outline, church age, that's where we're at now. The rapture, that will take place next. The great tribulation. And then the end of the tribulation brings in the millennial reign of Christ. And at the end of the millennial reign, that thousand years brings in the new heaven and the new earth. I believe that is exactly what the Bible teaches I believe we can prove that convincingly as we go through this. So, having said that, let's just kind of jump into a few things here. Back to chapter 1, chapter 1. Just a couple thoughts I want to point out. Again, this is more of a teaching lesson, but we find here it says the revelation, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling John, you're going to see him in a way you've never seen him before. You're going to see him in his, his deity, in his power, in his authority. But notice this. It says, which God gave unto him to show unto his what? His servants. Now, this is a fascinating point that was pointed out, and I didn't even think about this. But, you know, there's a lot of big hang-ups here. People, a lot of people do struggle reading the book of Revelation and... Uh, there, there's, there are uh, signs and wonders that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, and sometimes things can be difficult to understand, but there's a policy that we should apply when reading the Bible. Take it literal unless it specifically says it's a sign or wonder. Take it literal unless it specifically says, that's eh, a sign or wonder. That's, uh, that has a type to it. That's, that's a symbol to it. But other than that, we take it literal. And yes, you will read things that seem stranger than fiction in the book of Revelation. There are some unusual things that take place. Twilight Zone has nothing on the book of Revelation, okay? Some, some of the weirdest sci-fi movies you can imagine have nothing on the book of, the Revel, of Revelation. But once again, I say this because I found this a, to be a common note amongst the commentators that I read. The very fact that The Lord Jesus, or John, begins this by saying, the revelation of Jesus Christ unveiling means it should be understood. We should be able to grasp this. doesn't mean we're going to grasp every word, every sentence, but we should be able to grasp the bulk of what's being said here. 
God wants us to understand this. He wouldn't have penned it if he didn't want us to. And he wouldn't say there's a blessing upon those who read it and apply it if he didn't think they couldn't understand it. But here's the key. It's written to his who? Servants. Okay. Oh, yeah, I want to tap my... And it wasn't there. It's here. This is on, right? Okay. This brings me back to this. I believe a lot of people struggle, struggle not just with the book of Revelation, but they struggle with the Bible in understanding and grasping it because they're not servants. They're not servants. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? What did Jesus say? The greatest in the kingdom of God is who? The servant. And where does it start to be a good servant? In the heart. An attitude of humility. A willingness to help. To listen. I truly believe that if a person who is saved yet they're unwilling to serve the Lord, they've put a roadblock in regards to the light that God will allow them to see. They have put a dimmer switch. That'd be a better term. They put a dimmer switch on their understanding. Until we have a servant's heart, we are not really going to grasp things. And so it begins there. I believe if we have a servant's heart, we're going to go into this book and we're going to say, ah, I got it. But there might be other people in the room that, I didn't get it. Well, I'm not trying to uh, demean your competence. I just know it doesn't matter who you are. If ordinary fishermen like Peter and Andrew and James and John had the capacity to understand the will of God, God gave them the capacity to understand His will, He can help you and I. He can help you and I. It's interesting, He didn't give this to Paul. He gave a lot of knowledge to Paul, did He not? But the last book of the Bible that was written, the last book of the Bible that was written was written by John the Apostle, who lived the longest. He actually outlived the Apostle Paul. Historians, Fox's Book of Martyrs, most of the commentators agree that he lived to be in his 90s. They tried to boil him alive. They, were gonna, they wanted to kill him and make him suffer. He lived through it. And because scarred. Oh, can you imagine? And then they decided, you know what? He wants to die. Let's make him live. Well, how can we make him suffer? Isolate him from everybody he loves. Remove him from those Christians. Put him on that island out there. He's too old to swim. And so there he is. There he is. In verse 10, it's interesting. Verse 10, I believe, is a key verse to this chapter as well. Verse 10, John, matter of fact, I'll read verse 9 and 10. John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That means he was suffering for Christ's sake on that island. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the what day? 
Well, what day of the week would that be? That's Sunday. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And guess when the Lord decided to show up and give him a visit? You see, even though he couldn't attend the assembly, he decided to assemble himself. In the sense that I'm going to deliberately set aside time and honor my Lord and Savior on Resurrection Day. And as he was praying, no doubt, and meditating on the Word of God, and maybe singing the songs that he knew, God showed up. God showed up. And so, I don't, oh, I could easily get derailed and go into the different details of chapter 1, but what I want to do here is kind of touch on some things throughout the outline. In chapter 1, the Lord Jesus lets John know, I have a message for my churches, seven in particular, and I want you to write this down. And these seven churches that are mentioned in chapter 2 and chapter 3 were literal churches. They were literal churches. They were churches that were in existence. The word angel there, the angels were the ministers. The word angel means minister. And they were to be given to the angel of the church. The angel of the church was to read those letters to the church. A couple of them were doing what they should have been doing, and the rest of them were not. Some of them were in really bad shape. One of them, Jesus wasn't even inside the church. All the others, he was in the midst of the church. And by the way, the Lord is still in the midst of his church. And so chapter 1 through 3, we see basically these local churches. But I also believe they weren't just literal. I said they were, but they were not just literal churches. I personally, I'm of the conviction that they also are representative of a church age, a period of time. And again, I'm not going to argue with anybody. This is where I stand. I'm, we'll greet each other in heaven all the same because we get there the same way. But nevertheless, they're representative. I also believe this about those seven churches. I believe those seven types of churches that are mentioned have always been about. Always. Since the time the church started, there's been a, a church that was kind of like Ephesus. There's been a church that's been like a Pergamus. There's been a church that's been like a, a, a Smyrna. There's been a church that's been uh, uh, like a, a, a Pergamus. There's been a church that's been like Philadelphia. And there's been a church that, yeah, like Laodicea. And I missed a couple there. So, I believe that. That's where I, what I believe about the seven churches when we read that. And when we read that, we ought to ask ourselves, one, am I that kind of Christian? Is this that kind of church that I'm involved in? And I'll certainly do some self-evaluation as we read the Word of God. I would love for us to be a Philadelphian church, but that's not always up to us. What does that ding sound? I don't have my cell phone on me. Am I the only one hearing it? Okay. Would somebody answer the door? Well, we know it's not Jesus because he said he knocks. He didn't use the doorbell. I'm still hearing it, so I don't know. It, it feels like a distraction is what it feels like. Anyways, so the church... 
we will spend some time in chapter 2 and chapter 3 in a little more detail. We go into chapter 4, though. Go to chapter 4 as I just kind of browse through this. I really want to be quick. When we come to chapter 4, verse 1, we read no more about the church. The church seems to disappear. And the words that are used in chapter 4, verse 1 are significant. John says this, after this. Now, I discovered something in the Strong's Concordance. You can look it up yourself. The Greek phrase for after this can also be interpreted after these things. That's exactly the way it can be interpreted. After these things. Well, what things did we just read about? Well, we didn't read them all, but chapter 2 and 3 was the churches. But after them, after these things, what's next? John says, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And look at this verse 2. And what's it say? Immediately. All right, I want you to write a couple passages of Scripture down, if you would, underneath the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. I don't think it hurt for us to go over there and take a peek at those real quick. I'll read these. And Paul mentions to the church in Thessalonica because they were wondering if they were experiencing the great tribulation. Uh, they wondered if they'd missed the, the resurrection. Verse 13. Paul says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That's believers who have died and they're in the ground. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that has authority, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Oh, yes, this was the issue at hand. The issue at hand was this. The Thessalonians, some of them had it in their head that, uh-oh, we're, if our brother or sister dies, they're going to miss that taking away. They're, they're not going to miss it. And so Paul's saying, no, 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 no. They'll be taken care of here. Verse 16 is the key verse. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the what? Trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another these words. That is awesome. Awesome. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Another passage that'd be good to write down under the rapture. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. <clears throat> Paul tells the Corinthians, by the way, chapter 15 is all about the resurrection. It's about the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of believers. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection of the believer. Verse 51 
Paul says to the Corinthians, Behold, I show you a mystery, something that hadn't been told before. Uh, we shall not all sleep. Well, what you talking about, Willis? We shall not all sleep. What's that mean? Uh, that means some of you are not going to die. You'll be like an Enoch or Elijah. Well, that's the boat I'd like to be on. Obviously, we don't completely get to choose, but at least we get to hope. We shall not all sleep, and I'm here to tell you, I think Paul felt that way. He was hoping he'd be in on that for a while himself, because the return of Christ in his mind was imminent. It could come at any time, and Peter believed the same thing. He could come at any time, and I know it's been 2,000 years. He still has near. Yeah, in the last days, there will be scoffers who will say, where's the promise of his coming? Oh, no, the Lord has had a process. Aren't you glad, aren't you glad he let the gospel get over to you? <laughs> I am, too. So, uh, I want to read on. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Ah, that's the nursery verse there. I love that verse. Not all sleep, but all be changed. The reality is this. We're not taking this old body with us even if we don't die. Even if we don't die a physical death, we're still getting a new body. Hallelujah for that. We're cashing in. This mortal shall put on immortality, and this corruptible shall put on incorruption. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, O death, where is thy single grave? Where is thy victory? Yeah. Oh, by the way, that's in the passage here. That's in 1 Corinthians 51 through 57. And so we have the rapture, uh, the taking away. Now, who? turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians now. And if you have your little outline, we're now entering the Great Tribulation. Believers who are to be the salt of the earth and really are the salt of the earth, are now gone. Right? So the earth has no more salt. Well, back in the day, when they used salt uh, to preserve, if they didn't have it, the meat would decay quite rapidly. It would stink and get flies, lots of bugs. Well, that's what's going to happen when the salt is removed. It's going to get stinky, and buggy, and things are going to die. You need to see this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And look at verse... Uh, we'll be, and you might jot these verses down. 2 Thessalonians 2, look at verse 7 and verse 8. You might jot that down if you would like. I will tie this together. In verse 7 and verse 8, the Bible says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. <laughs> this was, the churches have just been established, and Paul's telling the Thessalonians uh, that the devil's already doing his work here. He's preparing things. The mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. We need to establish something. The word let and letteth means hinder. Well, how come it doesn't say that? 
Well, because you and I don't talk the way they talked 400 years ago. Well, see, that's why we need a new Bible. No, it's not. We don't need a new Bible. We, this is just fine. I, all you got to do is do a little research. And actually, if you read on, you kind of come to some conclusions. He that now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. Well, what's going to happen when he's taken out of the way? Verse 8, and then shall that, see that capital W? Everybody see that? I want to make sure we're all looking at the same Bible. Now, that's Antichrist. That is the Antichrist. That's not a Antichrist. That is the Antichrist. There's plenty of Antichrists. There have been many Antichrists. But this is the Antichrist. This is the one that Daniel spoke of. This is the one who's going to rule the world when the church is taken out. Now, it really makes pretty logical sense. He who now letteth will let. He who now hinders will hinder until he be taken out of the way. If he's taken out of the way, there's nothing to hinder. Who? Antichrist. The wicked one. When the hindrance is removed, he can come in and work pretty rapidly. So let's use some common sense here and let's evaluate the situation. Imagine, imagine millions of believers disappearing in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That's like immediate. You know, the same John was taken up immediately. That term is not accidental. Immediately. Let's imagine that. Let's imagine a pilot who's saved who all of a sudden disappears. Let's imagine a, 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 a flight. Brother Ron, what do they call those guys that control the planes? Not the pilots, but the people that are <laughs> directing traffic, air traffic control. <laughs> That's true. I agree with you. Air traffic control. Imagine, imagine a couple air traffic control people disappearing, and you got flights coming in from different angles. They're gone. Uh, imagine somebody who runs these uh, uh, railroads disappearing, let alone taxi drivers. I just want what I want you to do is imagine the chaos that will immediately take place on this planet because God's people disappear. Does it not conclude? I mean, I think this is, even, this is even logical. If you have that many people gone, you're going to have some chaos. Big chaos. I mean, like financial even, chaos. Somebody is going to come to the scene and help bring things back together. Amongst all this chaos, there will be, oh, there will be a great, you think Israel's going through it right now. I mean, it's, it's preparation. It's preparation. And I know people look at it and think, are we, there? Are we going through the great tribulation right now? No, we're not. But the stage is set. I mean, we're seeing things that John didn't even see. And so uh, 
there'll be great crises uh, taking place in the Middle East, Europe, everywhere. And so go back to Revelation now. Well, wait a minute. Let me read on here in 2 Thessalonians because we're in the Great Tribulation. I, I, I'm almost done here. Uh, verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. I love how the Lord, Paul just makes it real clear. He's going to make quick work with them. But verse 9 even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. That's why it's dangerous to put your confidence and experience over the Scriptures. Experience is great, but Scriptures hold authority. And, and people can have different experiences. And if, you, if somebody can get duped by a sign and wonder, the devil will take advantage of that. If he can get you deterred from the scriptures. I move on. Verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Because they receive not the love of the truth. That they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusion. That they should believe a lie. That they all might be damned. Who believed not the truth. But had pleasure in unrighteousness. Hold the coffee. Pause. What is he talking about there? He's talking about once the hindrance has been removed, which is the church, has been removed, which is God's people, the salt of the earth, and the wicked one comes to the scene, there will be a whole lot of people on this earth who heard the gospel prior to the rapture They understood it, but they stiff-armed it. They stiff-armed it. And because they stiff-armed it, and now they're going through the Great Tribulation, folks, I know this does not sound pleasant, but God says they will receive a strong delusion that they would believe a lie. That is not my opinion. The Word of God says... They have sealed their fate. I know the next question is, well, can people get saved? In the, yes, they can. I'll, I'll, and I'm gonna, we'll get to that. But if they have hardened themselves and stiff-armed God beforehand, and this happens, danger, danger, danger. That's why it's so important. We all know where we're at with the Lord. We understand, huh, I'm sealed by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm his child by faith. And nothing else. All right, so uh, now I want you to go to uh, Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. I just want you to see this. Verse verse 1. And this is the uh, onset of the seals as they're being opened. John says, I saw when, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Pause. 
That is not Jesus. That is not Jesus. Does Jesus come in on a white horse? Yes. But not until Revelation chapter 20. This is Antichrist, not Christ. And the very fact that the term Antichrist is used means, remember, Paul told the Corinthians, uh, the devil comes as an angel of light. He comes as a great peacemaker. A great peacemaker. And all you got to do is read about the next three horses. I know you all think the four horsemen were out of Notre Dame back in the 30s and 40s. But no, this is the real four horsemen here. Okay? And the next three horses bring in all of the tragedy and heartache and despair that follows Antichrist. All you got to do is read it. And so that sets the stage, the rapture sets the stage for the great tribulation. The Antichrist comes in as the peacemaker, even Daniel mentions that, as the peacemaker. And boy, he's got things tied together. And then three and a half years into his covenant with Israel and the countries of the Middle East and all of that, he breaks it, breaks all alliances, claims himself as God, initially comes in like this great peacemaker. But anyways, we'll be spending a lot of time on that. It's not a sermon. This is just like a, like a lesson. I feel like, you know, we need a story or something to close it. It's like, well, the class is over. It's like a bell. I don't know. Does anybody have any questions? This could get scary. I know what I'll do, though. I'll just say, I don't know. <laughs> but maybe I do. Does anybody have any questions? Okay. Oh, you got a question. Sure, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can. They get conf- well. I know this is going to sound harsh. I'll use a term Jesus used to the Sadducees. When the Sadducees asked about, well, whose wife is she going to be? If she's been married seven, to seven different men in heaven, whose wife? And he said, uh, in heaven they neither marry nor are given to marry. And he, he, he says this, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures. See, there's, there's some passages in Matthew 24, which we'll get to eventually, maybe next year. Uh, in Matthew 24 that they take out of context because it talks about, you know, people fleeing and then one will be here and the other one will be taken and all of that. And really, uh, that chapter is primarily dealing with Israel. Uh, And in the context, if you just read it, you'll find out that he's talking about the nation of Israel. But there's a lot of different views. There just are. But this, honestly, for me, it is the clearest. And here's, a, here's something that, here's a good Bible principle to learn the Bible. Never let a difficult passage interpret an obvious passage. Like, for instance, uh, Ephesians 2.8, you're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, that seems pretty clear. Titus 3, 5 is not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Well, that's pretty clear. And then, of course, Galatians, is, he just really hammers it. But then you'll come across some scriptures that say this. And whosoever endureth to the end shall be saved. And whosoever endures to the end shall be saved. Oh, oh i got to do something to keep it. Well, hold the coffee now. Relax. Don't let a difficult passage interpret the obvious passages. Always important. There is an answer to those. And I believe a lot of times you can find it if you read back far enough and then afterward and put it all together. See it in its context. But always let the obvious interpret the inconspicuous is what I say. And so I believe, though, what a lot of people do, they do the same thing with salvation. They struggle with salvation by grace because they think, well, see, this passage says you've got to be baptized too. And they take a passage out of context. That, that's my answer. Anybody else? I feel good about that one. That was one I felt like I could handle. Yeah, all right. Uh, Charlotte? You got a hard one for me? I'm just going to say I don't know. I'm just, duh. I'm, I'm, all right, go ahead. Uh-huh. I think only the church. Because, you know, here's my proof text. Because he's going to come like a thief to the earth. Well, a thief isn't going to sound the horn. <laughs> and he doesn't come like a thief to you and I. He's coming like a thief to this earth. And by the way, the only precious thing, commodity on this earth right now is God's people. So, uh, Brother John. Okay. Yeah. I think when we're in heaven, we're going to hear all of them. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. But pause. Here's my question. Now, remember where we started? Who's the book of Revelation written to? A servant is not looking to debate and argue and divide. Now, a servant can disagree, but they're never going to look to divide, especially God's people when we agree on the main thing. And what I've discovered is the other crowd can be far more divisive than our crowd. That's what I've discovered. I don't want to argue with them. I, I tell them, hey, let's win souls together. And we'll have a good time in heaven. So, yeah. Somebody else? Uh, Brother Tony? Yeah. Could be the church, well, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, we'll get to that. And I'll give you the passages for that. Uh, there's 144,000 Jews that are getting saved during the tribulation. And you'll see that in uh, chapter 7. You'll see that they, they do make a decision. That's Yeah, and again, that he that hindereth, it may be primarily referring to just us believers. Because the Holy Spirit is God. And God, in the real sense, is omnipresent. So, you know, he's never really gone. Uh, but those of us right now that are believers, we're not. And so the church does have a work. We are called the pillar and ground of the truth. And when the pillar and ground of the truth is gone, well, who's holding up truth? Yeah. And it is truth that hinders error. So that's just my take on that, Tony. Good thought. Uh, Linda? I do. I do believe that. Yeah. I believe that. Um, and that's where, you know, if we have loved ones that uh, are left behind, I sure hope they make, hopefully they haven't hardened themselves prior. We don't know the hearts of people. So, uh, Lisa? Okay, a hardened heart is somebody who continues to stiff arm the, the work of, of God's Spirit in their lives. There's only one sin that you cannot be forgiven of, blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, but that can have a broad interpretation. And we don't know the hearts, but the Holy Ghost, well, God said in Genesis, my spirit will not always strive with man. It means he'll speak. He'll speak, he'll speak, and if they finally, no, 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 well, they callous themselves. So, matter of fact, Proverbs 29.1 says, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. People can harden themselves. Yeah. We better, <laughs> one more. Uh, Galatians 6, 7. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John said this in John, 1 John chapter 5. He said, there is a sin unto death, and I pray you not ask for it. Well, what is that? That's the continual resistance of God working in your heart. The continual resistance. Romans chapter 1 tells us uh, they knew, had a knowledge of the truth, but they disregarded it and neither were thankful. And their hearts were darkened. Romans 1 gives us a clear explanation of all that takes place in the hardness of man's heart as well. We better wrap it up. Uh, my wife has one more. This is going to be it. The last question here. 
We'll do it again next week, too. Lord willing, if the trumpet doesn't sound. Well, that's the benefit of the end time studies. I think it, it should cause us, it should give us hope, but it also does personal evaluation. That's why 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. You don't delay that when God's speaking to your heart. These are great questions. I feel like it's been helpful. If you were here and you feel like, man, this was long, listen, you can slip out anytime you want. But uh, I... We did go a little bit longer than I planned, but these, I felt like the questions were good. Uh, and Lord willing, we'll do it again, but uh, next week we'll be back at it here. So let's go ahead and stand. We're going to close in a word of prayer. Brother Aaron, why don't you uh, close us in a word of prayer?